Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to a very special episode of It's Who You Know. My name is Barack Malkin, and I'll be your host today, as our guest is a voice you should recognize, the creator of It's Who You Know, my wife, Michelle W. Malkin. Michelle has worked in the Jewish community starting in 11th grade when she began working for her synagogue. In the 16 years since then, she has served as a Jewish youth professional, advocacy organizer, and executive director, and currently serves as a manager of philanthropy for women of Reform Judaism. She created this podcast in 2016 and has published two articles about this project in eJewish Philanthropy. I'm interviewing Michelle today because by the time you hear this, she will be working hard taking care of our new son and has decided to put this project on hold for the time being. We thought it would be a great idea to wrap up the 2018 season hearing about her experience starting this project. Welcome to the program, Michelle. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. So we'll begin, as you always do, with your journey into this work. Tell us what it's been like to create this project. Well, my journey as a Jewish professional, you know, as you mentioned, kind of began in religious school as a religious school teacher's assistant at 14. But I was very involved in my youth group, very involved in NIFTY, became a religious school teacher in college. But it really wasn't until in college, I did an internship at the organization I had my first job, Jewish World Watch in Los Angeles, that I really got to see Jewish professionalism and decided that that was a career for me. So shortly after graduating, I started as their student activist organizer, basically working with a bunch of different teens in a lot of different areas, getting them to raise money and do advocacy and education around issues of genocide in Darfur and Eastern Congo. From there, I went on to run a fellowship for what was called the Jeremiah Project at the time, which is now a project of Ben the Ark. And I had a lot of really wonderful mentors in my life who were connected to HUC, Hebrew Union College, who said to me, hey, there's this really wonderful nonprofit program. We think you'd really like doing it. Didn't really think I'd get in, but thought I'd give it a shot. So applied to that and ended up doing two years at HUC, earning my master's in Jewish nonprofit management and master's in public administration from USC. And then from there, did a bunch of different side jobs kind of cobbled some things together and ended up as the executive director of Temple Shalom in Hermosa Beach, California, until my wonderful husband got a job in New Jersey. And we moved out to New Jersey about a year and a half after that. And I got my wonderful job at Women of Reform Judaism, starting as their operations manager, and now have moved on to doing their philanthropy work. So this project kind of started off when we moved to New Jersey and my husband was working a lot and didn't quite know how to connect with the Jewish professional community out here. So for those who've listened to episode 000, you'll know this story. So I've always listened to a lot of podcasts and just really thought about how to stay connected and was having some interesting conversations and was like, well, you know, how hard would this be to start? So did some research and tried to see if other people, you know, there were other programs or things like that out there and there really wasn't. So here we are more than two years later, really just excited that this project has gotten some great feedback. And I love that a lot of my work at WRJ is internal stuff, which I love, but I love that this allows me to have a lot of interesting conversations and an external presence to my work. You mentioned a very wide and varied background in the Jewish community. What made you decide on this topic for the podcast? 
One of the things I really loved about my graduate work was something that was called Wacky Wednesdays. And we would go around Los Angeles and meet with you know, three or four, sometimes five or six different agencies in the Los Angeles area and got to hear from their staff about what the agency does and who they are. And, you know, sometimes it was the head of the agency, sometimes it was just a staffer, but it really gave us a good sense of what the landscape of the community was like. And I think that that was a huge advantage. And then not only just looking for a job, but knowing the community of which I was working. So that was a little bit of the impotence of this particular area, you know, New York, Jewish community and Jewish landscape is very different than the LA Jewish community and landscape, obviously a lot more national North American and global organizations. So I kind of wanted that Wacky Wednesday experience for not just this area, you know, as people have listened to other episodes, Houston and Chicago and LA and the Bay Area, but really just tried to get my hands around like, what is this community and who are these people and what is going on here? That was kind of the impotence for me to start having those conversations and wanting to focus on helping others as well get the sense of what's going on in our Jewish community out there. That's great. So you had the opportunity to meet all of these great people and you mentioned some mentors that you've had. Did you have any assistance in creating the background for this project? So I will mention some of my mentors because I think that that's always worth their due. My Pa Kipnis and Marsha Rothpan, who really steered me in this professional development area. So big shout out to them. The great thing about podcasts is it's a wide ranging, at the moment, very popular medium. So luckily, there were a lot of resources online already as to how to get things started. But I did have one person who I had known, Mark S. Young who works at GTS, who was number two. And you interviewed, yeah. Yeah, number two or number three. And more so has just been a really wonderful sounding board. So every time I made materials, every time I you know, kind of thought about it, I think I you know even sent him the initial idea, You know, just having some other person to have their eyes on it. And then really the feedback from my listeners, from my guests... You know, anytime I hear anybody that listens to the program, I want to know immediately, you know, what they think of it, if the sound quality is okay, if the guests are interesting, you know, always do my best to get feedback. And so the beginning, it was all me as far as editing and getting guests and things like that. And a shout out to our wonderful editor, Nick Bowden, who I mentioned at the end of each episode. You know, I kind of went on, I think their website was like internships.com or something, looking for somebody to help me edit who was looking to come into the field that I could not pay because I didn't have any money. So he was very wonderful and had the desire to learn more about this field. Um, so he started editing my episodes, which was huge and allowing me to spend more time on guests and things like that. So luckily, we got a wonderful grant from the Jim Joseph Foundation, which I know I mentioned on the program before, which allowed me to pay Nick, which was very exciting for me and upgrade some of my equipment. I think I was using a microphone, my husband, oh, that's you, that you had in recording some of your songs in high school. Yeah, high school or college. Yeah. yeah, so that was the microphone I was using. And so luckily was able to upgrade the equipment, get some headsets for my guests to improve the quality there, get some soundproofing stuff. So really kind of was able to take it to the next level for this year, which was really fantastic. So really, it's still just me and Nick. And as we're kind of go on hiatus, we'll look at some planning, look at some investors, look at what it might look like to expand that team a little bit. But really just 
Mark has been amazing as a mentor and a guide. Everyone has been amazing in making suggestions of guests and people I should reach out to. The guests have been amazing in saying yes <laughs> and trusting me and you know giving me their very valuable time. So it definitely has been a team effort in making sure it's been successful. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a collaborative effort. And as a listener of your podcast, I can tell you that Nick does a wonderful job in editing. So I'll thank Nick as well for all of the great work that he does. So you just mentioned all of your wonderful guests. How do you actually go about choosing your guests? What is the process for that? Well, initially I got a lot of stuff from Jewish Philanthropy, which I'm sure most, if not all of my listeners know is, you know, a daily publication. It's very wide ranging, even though the name is a little bit deceiving, lots of different areas. And also friends, you know, people who, you know, were willing to come on the program and trust me, even though I didn't have, you know, a certain amount of listeners or, you know, my materials or anything like that ready. So initially it was, you know, people who, like Aliza from Upstart, you know, they had just recently merged and I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to ask them more about it. And then it kind of transitioned to, you know, heads of different organizations or just kind of the more landscapey type questions. But I also wanted to make sure that I mixed in some good practical advice for professionals. So marketing, branding, HR, talent management, you know, those kind of areas as well, because I want it to be useful and for people to get something out of it more so than just knowing you know, what an organization does. And then for those who have listened, just really trying to make sure we pull out the professional and the personal so that it's not just all business, that we hear a little bit about the person's life and how they stay balanced and, you know, some things they've learned along the way that might be helpful to others in the field. Great. So that's how you choose the topics of them. Is there any special way that you go about finding the guests to fill those topics and ideas of matching that professionalism and the personalism? Do you have sites that you use? Do you have (laughs) connection, personal people connections that you have used? What is the avenue for finding who you know? Well, I don't know anybody. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just that straight. I really just asking, I mean, I rely sometimes on previous guests saying, hey, you know, if you have interesting people and a lot of times they have more pull than I do. So, you know, mm-hmm. they are, if I say, oh, you know, blah, 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 person recommended you, then it's easier to get my foot in the door than just kind of a cold email. And then I've actually put in a couple of times in Aegis Philanthropy, a call for guests and people have sent me guests that way. Some people just send in guests and just email me and say, hey, I listen to your program. You know, I really think this person would be interesting. And there's just so many interesting people and just trying to kind of keep the focus on not necessarily just an interesting project that somebody is doing, but you know, is this a relevant project? Is this person relevant to the kind of the theme of professional development and understanding the landscape and those kind of parameters that I've set? So I could have a million people on talking about a million different things, but really trying to stay true to the purpose of the program. So have you had any interesting hiccups or successes or notable happenings throughout the course of this project? Well, I talked about the $5,000. That was pretty awesome. I literally got the email and I think for 45 minutes was like, what? You just want to give me money? Like that doesn't happen. So that was really pretty wonderful. I did have one interview that, you know, through the course of like 20 minutes, I was like, I don't think this person knows what's going on. This was clearly a bad idea. (laughs) So I just kind of wrapped it up and let it die from there. But really, it's been, you know, pretty smooth. And for anyone who follows the podcast more closely than you should, 
you know, sometimes things don't really go out the day they're supposed to go out or, you know, I don't really get, you know, the draft episode to the guests when it needs to come out. But one of the nice things about a side project, not that there's nobody watching me, (laughs) but it's going to go out when it goes out. And, you know, I try to stick to a time schedule and it's a bit of my type A personality I have to put to the side that's like, you know, this is not a serious life and death thing. It'll go out when it goes out. People will get it. People will enjoy it. No one's going to be calling me and saying, why is this a week late? So it's definitely been a professional process of understanding the purpose of the project, letting it flow as it is and letting my perfectionism kind of go to the wayside a little bit as long as the material is getting out there. So yeah, trying to get all my guests in before a baby comes is (laughs) (laughs) while trying to get ready for a baby and do a job isn't always a smooth process. Yeah. Working for yourself where you don't report to a supervisor or a boss of any sort can be difficult as an independent employee as of sorts, or just in general, what do you like most about this project, this podcast, right? Probably the amount, which is funny to say that I don't care as much as I was mentioning before, you know, in my work, I care a lot. And sometimes I care too much, as I'm sure lots of Jewish professionals out there feel the same way. And so it's hard for me to let things go out that are subpar or not work longer than I need to be working or maybe doing other people's work (laughs) just to make sure that it's, you know, done well, because I know there's a whole host of lay leaders and staff members and donors and just this huge community of people that are relying on me to do a good job and who see that work. Whereas the interesting thing about a podcast, I have no idea who any of you are, (laughs) unless I run into you, unless you reach out to me you know, the accountability that I have is to the guest and I just send them the draft and they say, okay. And that's kind of the end of the accountability. So it's really nice to be able to do something where it's just you. You're the one who's accountable to yourself. You don't have to run something by, you know, 20 people before it goes out and it's your project. So it's a true reflection, if anything, of your work, your standards, your values, how you are as a professional, that really there's nobody else um, that's reflected in this project other than, you know, myself and obviously my editor. So that's definitely something as far as doing a side project that I've really enjoyed not being told what to do, (laughs) not being given that much pressure of what the end project is and just being able to be me and fully express that without any kind of fear, hesitation or worry, which has been really awesome. And is there anything you like most about about hosting a podcast? With today's world, you could have done a YouTube channel, you could have done a blog series or a vlog series, there could have done a slew of options. Why a podcast? I just listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> and I just know it's an easy medium. I know people have commutes. I know they'll work out and listen to podcasts, cook dinner, listen to podcasts. And I know also for my guests, almost every time I record, they're like, I like to look at people. So we you know, use Zoom technology. It's a video chat. And they always ask me, we're not recording, right? So they're in their sweats, Mm -hmm. they're in their house, you know, they're maybe a little more disheveled than they normally would be. I did have one guest one time, it was very cute in a full suit with like a whole background, like, I don't know what step and repeat thing. It was very cute. I had to tell him like, we're not, you know, recording the video and it was like, fine. But I think that that allows people to be a little more not limber, but in the conversation a little more loose and able to kind of speak frankly, because it's not a visual thing as opposed to being on a stage in front of an audience or knowing that your visual face is going to be presented. It's a lot more pressure. 
they think that this particular medium I've really enjoyed on my commutes. I used to watch, to get my politics away, Rachel Maddow had her pretty regularly. And now I listen to her on podcasts and I don't get to see her graphs or <laughs> some of her other things, but it really just works for me as far as how I experience entertainment and technology, especially with an hour and a half commute. I just figured this was a good way to get people's stories out there. Do you want to give your guests a little behind the scenes? What does it typically look like if they had to close their eyes and imagine your setting of where you record your podcast and what it looks like if they were to be a guest? What would they, <laughs> so what would they see? What would they hear around them? Sure. So I record in my house. What is behind me is a, what do you call this? A clothing rack? Yeah. Yeah. So clothing rack and my wonderful editor suggested moving blankets for soundproofing, mostly behind me. I have a couple of different microphones that I use depending on kind of where I am. So I have more of a travel one and more of a standard one. I have this big old headset. It makes me just look very professional. And I've got a cat and a dog that sometimes like to play with each other and meow and bark and trying to mute myself when those things are happening. So I'm really just, I mean, they can't tell I'm in my living room because I have the blanket behind me. You have this lovely ball gown on. I do. do wear this every <laughs> Always, time. yes. <laughs> But my face is pretty covered, which is nice. So when I yawn, they can't see. But I always try and move the microphone aside, you know, talk to the guests so they can see my full face before we get started. And then, you know, what's hard about it is sometimes it's a one-sided conversation. So, which you may or may not notice depending on how tuned in you are. But I, um, and I, yeah, and I, you know, try to make it as conversational as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that. So then I, because of that grant, I was able to, you know, start sending out headsets to make sure people's microphones weren't scratchy against their shirt or, you know, they weren't recording in a you know hollow room and it was really echoey. I had some of those issues when I first started. So now I'm able to mail out those headsets with a little microphone attachment to really pick up their voice so that we can make some clear stuff. So we sit on Zoom and... We have our conversation and for the most part, as far as I know, they enjoy it. And I just try to keep them relaxed in a conversational setting. And I'm sure for a lot of these people, especially the ones who are higher up, they're used to more formal, you know, media interviews, I guess, that are speaking engagements, things like that, and trying to help them kind of be in a mindset that this is a little bit different and hopefully a little more accessible and down to earth and maybe some other things that they've done. So outside of your interview process, do you talk to them beforehand or afterwards? How much other pre-conversation or post-conversation goes into these podcast interviews? It varies depending on you know, the person they're scheduled. Sometimes I talk to their assistant or the you know PR person who's setting it up. But I generally have a 10 to 15 minute conversation with them, you know, letting them know it's not live, what the process is like, what the questions are. It's a conversation, so I can't predict every question that I ask. And I always tell them, like I said, it's not live. So if I ask a question and they're thrown by it or they're not sure or they want to take a minute to think about it, then that's all you know, totally appropriate. Not too much prep. And I don't really prep for better or worse, <laughs> whether I should say that. I kind of know the questions in the flow. Obviously, I look at the website, know you know a little bit about the work and a little bit about their background and have some you know questions up my sleeve. But it's always organic as far as what comes from the conversation, what the person says. And then like this last year, I focused a lot on millennial organizations versus legacy organizations. So if you're sick of it, I'm sorry. <laughs> Wrapping up that topic this year. So always trying to kind of slip that in. I've slipped in a few things from other podcasts that I really enjoy. I know I've mentioned it before. The Make Me Smart podcast. That's where I get the, you know, what's something that you thought you knew at the beginning of your career when you started a position that you later thought was different. So I've been kind of incorporating those kind of things as I've done as well. I guess one more piece on your interviews. Often, very often, as a listener, I hear, wow, 
that was a great question or, <laughs> oh, I never thought of that before. Let me think about that. How do you come up with your questions? Do you have a history background in question making? Do you <laughs> have any of your other jobs involved asking questions or how do you, oh, I can't even get a question out. How do you ask <laughs> questions? <laughs> One thing that's helpful is my obvious background and experience in working in the Jewish community. You know, the number of conferences that I've been to, my formal training, my informal training, and previous conversations I've had as far as things that are happening in the Jewish community, the way things are and aren't moving. So there's a little bit of that just experience that kind of helps those questions come out. But I have a funny story from when I was in college, my first day, a wonderful friend of mine, Lindsay Kohick, who is still a very good friend of mine, might have been our first day. I asked her, I was like, so like, if you were a kitchen utensil, like what kitchen utensil would you be? And she thought it was like the weirdest thing that anyone has ever said to her. And to me, with like my nifty background and my youth group background, like that was perfectly normal and acceptable question to ask somebody that you just met. I'm a turkey baster, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I don't know what her answer ended up being, but she boxed me even to this day <laughs> about that question. So, you know, with my upbringing with, you know, nifty and being in leadership in those positions and that's just kind of what you do as far as learning to ask interesting questions and have interesting conversations. But I actually just pulled out a camcorder and went back to kind of delete a bunch of videos. And there was one video of me and my friend, Jesse Kazari out in LA. And I don't even know what it was for, something for graduate school, but I was interviewing her. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is weird. Like, I don't even remember this or even what it was for. But so I think it's always kind of just been a natural inquisitiveness that I have um, in terms of always kind of wanting to know more. And I think that's why you're getting people from E-Jewish philanthropy, you know, they write this article about this one thing and people might comment on it. But I'm like, like with the merger, I'm like, I have so many questions, (laughs) you know. I'm so curious and so inquisitive as to, you know, why this is happening, how this is happening, what are the consequences of this, what's the real world implications, how did this come to be, where were these thoughts from, and you'll hear, you know, a lot of that in other episodes as far as the kind of stream of curiosity as to the backwards and the forwards and the reasons, so natural talent mixed with a great (laughs) Jewish upbringing. Let's get out of the now and a little more future. What are your hopes for this project moving forward? I know that you're going to be going on what I hope is just a hiatus because (laughs) I love your podcast and that's, I'm not being biased. It's a really great thing to, as you said, listen to on my commute. So what are your hopes for the future of this podcast? What are the plans? What are your big pie in the sky dreams and hopes? Well, as I mentioned, it's been challenging to have a full-time job, run a podcast, and prepare for a baby. So I'm not entirely sure how it will be to have a full-time job and have a baby and, <laughs> and, a podcast. and try to have a podcast. So, I mean, for better or worse with any of these projects, it comes down to money. In an ideal world, I'd be the one doing the interview and the conclusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and having that be, you know, the only parts of it. And I, not that I'm jealous of, you know, professional radio hosts or podcasters that, you know, at the end, they talk about their producer and their editor and their intern and their, you know, th- this team, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of our conversation, that all kind of have little parts in making it happen so that they can do more, they can produce better, that kind of stuff. So it comes down to money. So really just, you know, on our hiatus, once I'm kind of back at work and comfortable with a tiny little squiggly thing that poops and sleeps and eats. <laughs> and cries. Don't forget and cries. cries. Of course, cries. And hopefully smiles every now and again. 
So once I'm kind of comfortable back at work, you know, trying to explore financial support for the program and what that can look like. And I'd love to give it a little more structure. I feel like not that I've been, you know, flapping in the wind, but, you know, I did try to structure this year's interviews with that lens of millennial versus legacy organizations and give a little bit of that context. But I think what, and I'll say it now, who knows if it'll change, but I'd love to focus on foundations since we'll only kind of be doing a half year next year and kind of look at that and really do a lot more thoughtful planning for, you know, what's the theme of the year? What type of guests do we want? Do we want to focus on spirituality and the religious side of our work? Do we want to focus on the operations side of the work? Do we even want to have those kind of focuses? So bringing a lot more people into the fold, a lot more um, people helping me think through these things, who listen to the podcast, who understand the podcast, and then funders who can see the value in the podcast to be able to kind of shape it in a more formal, professional way than just kind of me being like, oh, this person sounds interesting. <laughs> you know, I hope they want to talk to me. The pie in the sky is enough money in the bank to have a team of people where, you know, I'm doing the interview, I'm doing my conclusions and somebody else is, you know, reaching out to people and booking and doing, you know, the prep work and all that stuff. But for better or worse, even if I can't do that, you know, Hmm. I just want to be able to have these, you know, interesting conversations. And again, it's a side project and it's my project and there's nobody saying, you know, you have to get it out every single Monday or every other Monday, which was a smart change on my part to do Mondays instead of Sundays. That was challenging. But really just, you know, I'll continue it at some point, however that looks for me in my life. And, you know, there might be a point where I decide I'm good and, you know, want somebody else to take it over who loves the project and let them kind of run with it however they'd like to. I'm excited about it, but I'm definitely excited to take a bit of a break. Do you have any hopes of, right? It's a podcast right now and a wonderful podcast, if I do say so. Um, You said that, (laughs) right? I've heard, you know, rumors around the water cooler in the office here. <laughs> in the office. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about any other, even higher than pie in the sky, I guess, other hopes that aren't podcast related for this project or group or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I actually had somebody come up to me at the URJ's biennial. We had a very interesting conversation about wanting to make this a full-time job. And, you know, I had said to him, you know, as much as I love this, like if I really thought that anybody would invest that much money that would replace my salary (laughs) and my benefits and my current position, you know, that that would be kind of a very high bar. But what it would look like to expand to an organization, right? If I made this into an organization, then you would think more, you know, being at every single conference, doing recordings at, you know, the GA and Jewish funders network. Like live podcast recordings. Like live podcast Mm -hmm. recordings, events, or like, and then doing events outside of just at conferences. And then doing, you know, I'd really, I think one of the things that technology allows us to do that we do a lot in my organization at WRJ are kind of group Zoom conversations. So understanding that our world is so very much smaller than it ever used to be and finding ways to connect to each other. So I'm newly into development, newly into development as in a, <laughs> you know, actual role and title. Not that I haven't been fundraising since, you know, for many, many years, but I, you know, I'm new to this in a more formal way outside of knowing what my organization has done in the past. So to be able to hop on a Zoom call once a month with other you know, development professionals from around the country or even here locally, but maybe they're in, you know, North Carolina and Florida 
to hear about their experiences, to, you know, see how they're gearing up for their end of year, to get some new ideas, to share my ideas and my successes. We just had a high holiday campaign and it did really well. And outside of you and, you know, my direct report and my boss, it's not really something I can like bring to my friends and be like, Hey, just made a lot of money. Like it's not really the same feeling as people who understand what, you know, the work that you're doing and what went into that and really be able to share that with you. Or when something doesn't go well, I think those smaller networks communities would just be so wonderful. And I know there's a program called Working Out Loud, which basically promotes this very similar like lean-in circles. So it's happening a lot in the secular world that is not happening in our community. But I think it just would be so incredibly valuable upon just kind of listening to other people talk, but being able to have those conversations, whether it's you know, just a similar age group or, you know, a similar profession or a similar type of organization. I'd love to, you know, be able to do that. So if it was an organization, you know, to me, that would be, you know, what it would look like in the podcast, the learning circles, the conferences and the live events, and just any way that I can think to improve Jewish professional connectivity and experience sharing and understanding and learning, but also trying to make sure it's unique and fills a unique need and the unique role that isn't being filled other places because I would also hate to step on the toes of people who are already doing Jewish professional development work in the field. I love that. I always try to take advantage of any mentor mentorship programs or learning circles, roundtables sort of discussions to get yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone and meet new people because right, it's not always what you know, it's sometimes it's who you know. And it's always great to have those people to reach out to for questions or support. Yeah, you're new into marketing. So wouldn't it be nice to once a month, you know, hop on with some other marketing professionals at other, you know, federations or other organizations and get some of their ideas that you can then bring back to your office. Very nice. Lots of conversations and different aspects in different places outside of the podcast, right? Communication is key. And I know just from personal experience that your personal life conversation wise really helps to make this a wonderful marriage. (laughs) Um, But do you find that your ability to have good conversations and opening that communication has helped you in other aspects of your work or friends or et cetera? Yeah, I think it goes back to that just genuine curiosity about others and other people's lives and since we moved out to New Jersey, we haven't been able to find a synagogue to affiliate with. And I think that's something that I've really missed from our home in Los Angeles with a really wonderful community. Shout out to Temple Sinai of Glendale. Absolutely. So really like the, how much I enjoy being around other people and really just curiosity about their lives and, you know, how things are going and their perspective on things. So it's not always easy to make, you know, new friends. I'm not a social butterfly. I don't have, you know, lots of groups of friends yeah, <laughs> that I go out with all the time. But my relationships are quite deep and I enjoy people who have that give and take because I ask so many questions and I'm so inquisitive. Oftentimes, you know, I'll have a very one-sided conversation, which sometimes are these <laughs> conversations, but, I, you know, sometimes I, I kind of put in my two cents for some things. So it's always, you know, when it's a little deeper, when somebody says, oh, tell me about your work or, you know, tell me about what that's like. Mm-hmm. So I think to me, it's because I'm so inquisitive and curious and ask so many questions. It really is a telltale sign for me when, you know, it feels like a good relationship when I then get back you know, the same kind of questions and curiosity and interest in my life. That's always a nice interaction. You mentioned that you listen to other podcasts and recordings of sorts for your commute and for waking up in the morning and getting ready. I'm curious, just for our listeners, what other podcasts do you listen to? Well, luckily, there's a list on the website (laughs) of my podcasts that I listen to. 
I mean, it varies. I love politics. You know, Rachel Maddow and the NPR politics to just make sure I'm up to date with that. There's a wonderful podcast called More Perfect, which talks about Supreme Court cases. Um, Most of them are learning based. So there's one called 99% Invisible, which talks about design and architecture. That's always really interesting and just kind of historical, a lot of historical facts about old buildings and structures and why they were built and what happened to them. If you didn't ever know that Sears used to sell like Ikea style houses, that they would just like bring you a truck full of stuff and you built your own house out of a catalog. Super interesting. And then things like Hidden Brain about psychology. There's a lot of them, but mostly it's, you know, I like to learn stuff. So any non-learning podcasts no, for fun? Um, for fun? Mission to Zix. That is my only fun one that I listen to with you in the car, which is a sci-fi based improv podcast. But all the rest of them, I, you know, I like to hear interesting stories about people or politicians or history or ideas or psychology that make me kind of be a more interesting person. (laughs) But you can see a full list of all the podcasts that I listen to on our website if you are interested. So what advice do you have for our listeners, either those that are looking to start new projects or those that are working hard for their agencies? My road has been a bit more unconventional than I think than most. And I, not that I'm jealous, but oftentimes when I interview somebody and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I went to school and right out of school, I got offered this job that I was at for five years and they really loved me and I really loved them. And then this other organization came to me and offered me this better job and it was all amicable. And we moved on to, you know, this other job for 10 years and it was wonderful. (laughs) For better or worse, that has not been my path. I've been fired. I've quit multiple times. I've worked in the community, out of the community. I've had to be pretty scrappy. I support myself since I was, you know, since I left home at 18 for college. And like, stick over your shoulder with a little, right. a little sack. bag. It hasn't always been easy. And I've definitely had friends ask me like, why are you still trying to work in the Jewish community? Like, why are you spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars getting degrees in this? Like, why are you doing this? And I always just knew that, you know, Judaism was a very deep part of who I was. And that was where I found a lot of my, as I mentioned, you know, mentorship and guidance and values. So I always knew that that piece was very important to me. And I just knew it would work out eventually at some point. Mm -hmm. And that no matter what mean boss or difficult situation or hard transitions or not being able to get a job or the type of job that I wanted, that there was always a reason in every work that I did that I did it. And there was always a deeper purpose and meaning behind it than just getting a paycheck. Because if I just wanted to get a paycheck, then I'd work in the for-profit world where I hear they're much bigger. So for me, it really has been why, you know, why is working in the Jewish community so important to me? And what is it about that that keeps me going through some more difficult work situations? And I am very, very, very lucky. And I'm not just saying this because I currently work there, but working at WRJ has been definitely the best position that I've ever had in terms of the staff I get to work with, my wonderful boss, shout out to Rabbi Marla Feldman, just a community of being a part of the URJ has really allowed me to be me. And I think that's what I'd always been looking for in a position is somewhere where I can be me, which believe it or not, it's been really hard. And I've been given, you know, good and bad feedback that I'm always trying to improve on. But if you feel like in your position, whatever it is, whether you are the lucky ones that never has to look for a job or someone who's had a little bit of a rockier path, you'll know when you found it, when you feel like you can be you. And that your talents and your ideas and the way that you work 
all of those various elements of who you are is appreciated. And that also comes with, you know, being humble and making changes when they're not, you know, what fits with the culture. But it's really made a big difference for me in finding a place where I can really feel like I can do my work, do well, be who I am. And so that's always good advice for people is make sure you find somewhere where you can be who you are. So you have a job, you have a social life, you've got pets, husband, a kid on the way, as you like to always ask, how do you keep it all balanced? What do you do to help keep yourself together and centered? I think I'm really good at shutting off. You might disagree with me. (laughs) (laughs) Other than checking emails on the weekends and evenings and, you know, throwing a quick reply or just kind of knowing what's coming down the pipeline. You know, I tend to, you know, when I'm off, I'm off. And I mentioned this back in my conversation with Abby at the beginning of the year that I decided against doing away messages on my email. And obviously there's one now because I'm out for, you know, three months. But for me, it was really kind of annoying. So like I decide when I'm off and when I'm on. And if you don't get a reply to your email in two days, you don't get a reply to your email in two days and kind of setting those boundaries of, you know, I might check email when I wake up in the morning, but when we're out to dinner with a friend, when we're, you know, at a party or doing something together, I'm not then checking email or I'm not trying to work on a project or I'm not working till one in the morning. So I feel like I've been very good about setting those boundaries. And I'd love to say, oh, I do yoga twice a week or (laughs) I have a wonderful meditation practice. That would all be wonderful, but it's not true. What other people have said as well, I think loving what you do is really, really important because then it doesn't feel quite as much like work. And same thing with this podcast. I feel like sometimes this podcast feels more like work than my work feels like work. And sometimes vice versa when I get to have these really wonderful conversations. So definitely a lot more intentionality down the pike. And I've heard that having a child changes your ambition perspective, that it helps you kind of take your work more with a grain of salt and be maybe a little less ambitious. I don't know if that's in my personality. We'll have to see (laughs) if I'm capable of being less ambitious. (laughs) But that's what I hear happens. Um, You know, for me, it's just shutting off when I shut off and being very aware of those kind of cutoff times and then being really in it and dedicated when I'm really in it and dedicated. And among all other things, what is probably the most important and the thing that helps a lot is being able to come home at the end of a day, regardless of what happened in that day to my just wonderful husband and (laughs) where I can laugh and relax and just having, you know, shalom bite and having peace in our home and, you know, wonderful pet. I know not everybody is a pets person, but, you know, cuddling with my cat and my dog and, you know, throwing her the ball and just enjoying their company. Just at the end of the day, like I said, no matter what happens, you're just like a sigh of relief. And you know, you can take a deep breath, you can, you know, cook dinner, you can laugh and spend time together and release all those wonderful endorphins of having a happy and healthy and calming and relaxing home to come back to. But only when my husband does the dishes. Is that <laughs> kind of I'll do them, leave them. <laughs> so I wish it was an easier answer of why and how and things I implement and maybe as I get older and you know hopefully having a kid will only add to that serenity but yeah one day I'll do yoga once or twice a week that would be (laughs) lovely (laughs) great so we covered a lot in our conversation is there anything else that we haven't yet touched upon that you would like to mention well you mentioned something about people who are thinking about starting side projects Mm -hmm. And I've had a couple of people reach out to me saying, oh, you know, whether it's professional or personal, I see this niche and like, I'd really love to do this project or this podcast. What do you think or what advice do you have? And again, on my website is a how to start a podcast 
PDF that kind of outlines a little bit the steps that you take to do so. But do it. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it. Even if it doesn't work. Even if you can only do, you know, a couple hours a week. Not everybody's job can be 100% fulfilling of everyone's skills and talents and what makes them happy. And if you're trying to have your full-time job provide all of that, you're never going to be happy, but you're never going to find it. So in thinking about what does my job provide for me? So like I mentioned, for me, it's the internal ability to produce good work. But what it's missing is I've had positions before where I'm speaking in front of 500 people or I'm you know, doing a panel or as you mentioned, <laughs> asking questions where I'm able to kind of present myself in a way. And in my full-time work, my job is to highlight other people. And that's totally okay with me. But I know that in order to be happy professionally, I need a little bit of the ability to express that skill, express those skills, express those talents. And this is how I found to do that. So if there is something in your job that feels a little lacking, feels a little not like you, feels a little under-fulfilling, it doesn't mean you have to find another job. And no job, as I mentioned, will fulfill every kind of talent and skill that you have and desire for fulfillment in your work. You know, if it's just five to 10 hours a week or even a month, do it see where it goes. Even if it fails, you've learned from that and can you know make adjustments or maybe you thought that you wanted something and <laughs> you start doing it and you realize you don't want it, but get it started, start doing it, do it little by little. And you'll be amazed when you have a passion for something, um, how easy it is to kind of find the time. And even if it doesn't come out, you know, every week on schedule, <laughs> you know, how fulfilling that side project can be. Great. Well, thank you very much, Michelle, for gracing us with your presence once in a while here. Do you have an idea right now of when the podcast was to come back? So the goal will be June 2019. As I mentioned right now, our thinking is around focusing on foundations because it'll only be about 14 episodes for that year. And we've done a couple of foundations on the program already, but not necessarily with a focus of the questions or the topic being on, you know, how do you do your work? How do you decide? It's such a huge piece of our work. And as this project starts to look for funding. <laughs> Not to be selfish about it, but just helping other people, helping ourselves really understand what is this sometimes very secretive world where you're hunting for a foundation that wants to give you money and there's you know application process or you just have to know somebody or you know trying to shed a little bit of light on what this area of our work entails. So so if you are somebody or if you know somebody yeah. who could answer these questions about foundations, please. Or one, yeah, once uh, the program. Email michellewmalkin at gmail.com. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. And thank you all for allowing me to guest host today. I hope it was enjoyable. I didn't get any of those, wow, great questions, but this was a <laughs> great discussion. So thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you, Brock, for and, filling um, in. And have a wonderful year, everybody. This is Michelle W. Malkin, your normal host for It's Who You Know. I just wanted to take a moment at the end of this conversation to thank the 50 guests we've had on this program over the last two years. I know I've said it before, but I feel very privileged to be able to have these conversations with such wonderful, hardworking, dedicated professionals in our field. And of course, thank you to all our listeners who have proved to me that there is a hunger in our community for sharing our ideas and philosophies and journeys with one another and that this sharing does indeed make us all stronger. It's Who You Know will hopefully return sometime in 2019, so don't unsubscribe just yet. If you've just found the podcast, go back and listen to some previous episodes you may have missed. You might be surprised by the wonderful insight our guests 
are able to offer. The last shout out I have is a thank you to Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound for all of his hard work in helping me put this project together, to the Jim Joseph Foundation for giving us some money to allow it to continue and be wonderful and more professional. Of course, to our fiscal sponsor, whom this project would not be possible without, Jewish Creativity International. As always, our website will remain up and running where you can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more. And that website is it's who you know the podcast.com. Signing off for now, this is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful year.